Welcome to Talking Absolute Worship. We've assembled some of the finest worship-leading minds in the Southwest Synod of the United Reformed Church so that we can talk absolute worship. This week we're talking about the texts for Lent 5. Ruth, you've done some work on this. Where, where, where do you think you'll be going this week with these readings? Mm. Well, I got, I got really interested in the Hebrews reading, um, which starts with some stuff that, that we could go into of uh, God saying to Christ, you are my son. Um, and we could think about all the ways in which that sort of affirmation appears in the gospel readings and so on. Um, but then it goes on to a more puzzling bit. Uh, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And I suddenly realised I had no idea at all who Melchizedek was. Um, so I thought I, I'd better look it up. And I did. And it told me there that, that Melchizedek appears in Psalm 110, verse 4, where it says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that's where the quote comes from that, that the writer of Hebrews is quoting. But I also did some stuff on, well, you know, what was Hebrews uh, about? Who wrote it? Uh, and it seems, though the clever books agree, it was written as an exhortation to a community suffering uh, persecution and wavering in their faith. So obviously, it's the, whatever this order of Melchizedek thing is, it's meant to be hugely encouraging. So I, I dug down again to find the reference to Melchizedek that the Psalms is then picking up. Um, and Melchizedek appears in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20, where he blesses Abraham. But Melchizedek isn't a priest at all. He's a king. He's the king of Salem. Now, Salem is the old name for Jerusalem. Uh, so it could be the king of Jerusalem blesses Abraham. Uh, but also Salem, if you think of Salam and Shalom, all comes from the same root of peace. So this is also the king of peace. And the third bit about Melchizedek is that it means king of righteousness. So to be someone like Melchizedek, a priest like Melchizedek, means someone who's the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace, and the king of righteousness. And if that wasn't enough to make you think of Jesus, uh, then when he comes to bless Abraham, Melchizedek brings bread and wine. So it felt to me like as we're on the kind of the edge of Holy Week, as we're coming to the end of Lent, we've got something here about the identity of Jesus, uh, which hopefully is very encouraging. And I kind of linked it a little bit in my mind with, with the John, the Gospel reading, where I felt there was something being said about honour. I noticed again for the first time, really, that when the Greeks come, they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I thought that's extraordinary that foreigners would come to these fishermen. I mean, perhaps it's just the fishermen I've known, but there's always like just a little bit of fishy, fishiness about them, <laughs> um, smell-wise. Uh, so the, the idea of going to these fishermen who hang around with Jesus, we don't get an idea of them being very smooth and, and sophisticated and calling them sir. Um, I think that's, that's really quite interesting. Um, so there's something about what, what does glory mean, what does honour mean, what does respect mean. And I think when we go back to, to Hebrews and the order of Melchizedek, we're saying uh, this is Jesus who is to be honoured, but who is first to suffer. 
and I think that could take us into to any of the other readings really. I'm not sure I'd start there with preaching because people might switch off the, the minute they think you're going to say, so who's Melchizedek? But since I didn't know, I wouldn't expect very many people in our congregations to know either, but they might like to find out. I think that, that approach is, is really helpful to congregations, uh, Ruth. Um, e even if you did know, um, to, to introduce something as, so who knows who Melchizedek is, is such a lame thing that preachers sometimes do that instantly alienates a congregation. And to put it as your own journey of exploration, which I'm sure it was, um, <laughs> your own journey of, of discovery, um, uh, that it, it, it takes them on a journey that I think is is really helpful for them. So yeah, I think that 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 would work. Yeah, Lithan. Um, this might be stretching it a bit, but you could possibly um, kind of have a series of of three sermons. So last week, um, Jesus was likened to Moses, wasn't he? So you can kind of say, what kind of prophet is Jesus? And then this week, it's with Melchizedek, who's sort of a priest, or is being assumed to be a priest here, but he isn't really. When did he, I wonder when the change came. Anyway, so you can kind of go, what kind of a priest is Jesus? And then next week is Palm Sunday, and you can kind of go, what kind of king is Jesus? So that he's, he's not quite the same as you'd imagine in each different case. But that only works if you've got plenty of time to prepare um, your services in advance, which we may not. Yes, Rachel. Yeah, I like that, uh, Lithan, because um, my first thought when hearing Ruth speak about Melchizedek was that this would almost be a reading I'd like to use next week when it's Palm Sunday. But then actually thinking about... Um, this Sunday is often called Passion Sunday, isn't it? Where um, you might reflect on the passion of Jesus. And I think there's a lot in the Hebrews about um, the suffering of Jesus, particularly sort of towards the end. And um, it says in verse eight, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And I think that's quite an interesting but alien concept um, that you don't sort of embrace suffering as a way of learning a lesson or learning how to be obedient. Um, so there might be some exploration in the idea of um, suffering that comes through that reading. Yeah, absolutely. Ruth? But though I wonder, and you know, I get the five pound bonus for the, being the first person this week to mention COVID, uh, but, but <laughs> I wonder whether, I think all of us are trying to make meaning out of that by saying, what have we learned from this terrible thing? Mm. Um, so maybe there is something human about wanting to learn from suffering or perhaps, you know, dis not taking away from how awful suffering is, but nevertheless, it is, it is a, a, the, the challenge can, can produce change and growth. Mm. So, so maybe there is something about, yeah, suffering produces knowledge and wisdom but you'd have to be very careful, I think, preaching it, not to be saying, oh, it's all right, it's fine that, um, you know, whatever figure we're up to, people have died, um, because we've all learnt a lot. I think that would be callous and unpleasant. Yeah. Let's not do that. No. No, um, let's not do that. Um, wise, wise advice. Um, yeah, I think there's, a, there's certainly something in... in <clears throat> um, 
not a direction I thought we'd go in um, to start off with, um, but uh, how, how else do we understand who Jesus is without putting other biblical characters or other things alongside him to say he's like this or he's like this or there's something of this in him which I, I'm hesitating to say this because there may be people who know what they're talking about um, listening or even participating um, in this conversation but is that not what the bible or theologians sometimes call a type um, so Melchizedek is a type of Jesus um, he's not Jesus <laughs> Um, uh, and I understand there is there are some um, uh, communities of faith in the past who have actually seen Melchizedek as actually Jesus manifesting himself in the past. I think there's been a lot of argument about that, but most I think mainstream um, theology has talked about folk like Melchizedek as a type of Jesus. In other words, you can see something of you can understand a little bit about who Jesus is by looking at him and about who he is and about how he's described and about how he's remembered. Yes, Rachel. And I think that's really interesting because it takes us into the whole realm of metaphor um, in some ways. Um, and I've tried to explore um, metaphors for God in particular with um, congregations in the past and it's quite funny perhaps to note that there is a there can be a resistance to things and when you point out that father son they're, they're metaphors they're ways of describing God they don't you know that's not like that's not the whole picture and the metaphors give us just different facets and just different ways in to explore um characteristics of God and I think if you can kind of help people to um, embrace some images and some you know Jesus isn't Melchizedek but he's like Melchizedek in this way and you know Jesus, Jesus isn't um, really a lamb but <laughs> but what does the lamb image tell us about Jesus you know those kind of things and it does help I think because what, particularly when you get people who can't even contemplate that you could imagine God as anything other than um, um, a male <laughs> figure um, and you know, to be able to explore um, metaphor, I think it's a really useful thing to do. I think so. Um, and it's, I, I think it's probably a, a whole set of rich um, characters and imagery you can draw upon. The Bible, I mean, the Bible does this itself, doesn't it? Um, mm. In putting characters alongside Jesus on top of the Mount of Transfiguration and everything else to say, look, we'll put these side by side and you can, you can learn something uh, by thinking about it. And mm. the idea that, um, Melchizedek was was bringing bread and wine. <laughs> it, it leads. It's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it leads people to thinking, ah, so he knew all along that um, in three thousand years' time there was going to be this guy, and it's very easy to disappear down that path and then lose what actually is happening um, with you know with, with this with this imagery. But um, I, I guess most of us, uh, the, the other three of us, are now wondering on what on earth we're going to say because we were all going to talk about <laughs> Melchizedek. Um, um, I, I doubt there's much more to say, but um, Rachel, leaving aside Melchizedek and the obvious <laughs> preaching <laughs> theme, where, we, where were you thinking of going with these readings? Well, Ruth has already sort of 
delved into the new the Old Testament character of Melchizedek and I would just like to delve into the Old Testament reading um, I think and we did mention on one of the other weeks of Lent that it'd be really good to to linger in the Old Testament and to perhaps um, try to we talked about the Ten Commandments and exploring them trying to imagine the way that the the Jewish community um, responds to to those uh, those kind of texts. So I think it's quite easy for us to um, think as Christians that we've got the monopoly on new covenant uh, and that, you know, Jesus is the new covenant and everything else was, you know, swept away um, and that that was all irrelevant almost. Um, but actually within Judaism, in, in this Jeremiah passage, you can see that there is this idea of new covenant there um, as well. And I think that I'd like to spend time thinking about this renewed covenant, which um, the old one isn't demolished. Uh, God doesn't say, forget the Ten Commandments, that didn't work, let's try something else. Um, but God says, I want to have a relationship with you. Um, I, despite the fact that it might not have worked out before, this time it's going to be different. It's, you're going to be able to keep this one. Um, you might not have responded, but here we go again. Um, and the the Torah, the, the law is still central to this new covenant. But this time the people are going to, um, it's very optimistic. This time the people will embrace it. They won't resist it any longer. Um, and they'll do that by both internalizing the, um, the law. It's going to be written on their hearts, um, but it's also going to be almost worn um, as well by being shown in action as the there's the internal um taking it on board that's that's evident in in activity um and i think uh, i'd also like to draw out the mutuality of the covenant that that it's a commitment that god makes to the people um it's not just god demanding commitment from the people but god says i will be their god um and they will be my people. It's I feel a sense of pride from God about these people. He still wants to be known as related to them. <laughs> you know, sometimes if your children do good things, you go, oh yes, you know, that was my daughter, that was my son. But if they do terrible things, you kind of, oh no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't really want to don't really want to know them. But God still wants to know um the the people. Um and the whole community will know God. It says in at the end of that passage, um, they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. And there'll be that sense of trust and intimacy um, that acknowledges God's authority that becomes evident in the community. And they'll show their obedience and commitment by doing the kind of things that God cares about, I think. So um, God cares about the poor and the needy and the widows and the orphans and the marginalized and all of those um, people will be um, caught up in this new covenant because um, because they'll they'll be participants in receipt and recipients of, of the love of the people. So I would like to dwell on the community aspect, I think, because often we, t we think about um, the covenant, particularly if we move on to the the covenant in Jesus we we tend to think of it as quite an individualistic thing talk about a lot about personal response so I'd like to think about community response um, I 
think. And thinking about how together we can seek um, ways of being together in God. Um, what does God want us to be like as, as a community of people? Um, I'm fairly certain God isn't saying, you know, when this pandemic is over, you can get back inside your buildings and you can carry on as if it had never happened. Um, I'm fairly certain that God isn't saying, yes, you know, let's just hurry up and get this over so that we can pick up with our Sunday morning normal stuff and with our <clears throat> coffee morning on a Friday and our whatever else it might be on another day. Um, I think God wants us to think about um, what it really means to be God's people at this time. And there's got to be more to it than just hanging around waiting for the old to return. Um, so the question I'd like to ask is what new thing is God doing today? And what might we need to ask God to forgive and forget um, corporately? Uh, what in church life do we need to repent of? Um, what do we need to ask God to to put behind us so that we can move forwards. So they're my ramblings. For this week. <laughs> yeah, listen. Oh, I think Ruth got in first, but I'll, I'll go anyway. So um, one of my go-to places for looking at lecture readings is Carolyn Brown, who has a site called Worshipping with the Children. And it may be just my level of theology, but I find lots of the things that, that she brings out are really worthwhile. And she talks about um, this passage from Jeremiah and covenants about how they get more intimate as you go along. Because there's a lot of covenants in the Old Testament because we're all really good at keeping them. So you kind of go from rainbow in the sky to written on stone to written on our heart. And I think, but I think there's still that sense that, you know, is, is God coming as Jesus more intimate than written on our hearts? Or maybe it's just, it's just that writ large then that even when it's written on our hearts, we still don't get it. Even when this covenant, the others will say, I will be God and you need to do this. And this one, there isn't. He just says, I will be God and I will love you. Kind of that's it. <laughs> there's nothing. And even then, even then we don't manage to keep it. Even when there's really nothing we need to do, still we don't, we're not really the people that we should be. And kind of, and that's where Jesus comes in. Yes, a new covenant, but maybe just this covenant writ large. I think. So, but I, I do like that idea of the covenants kind of getting closer and closer to us. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah, well, thank you both of you because I think that that sense of the community and the the sense of it focusing or strengthening or coming closer. Uh, for the covenant, I think really helps me, um, and and I was struck by that. All shall know me, um, and I thought you know you you could if you wanted a traditional three part sermon, do you know concentrate on all, know and then me. Mm. Um, I probably wouldn't do that because it feels a little bit hackneyed. But I think the idea of um, that that this covenant is is for all, and it's about knowing. Um, but it's also about me, which is God in that context. And, mm -hmm. and I was struck by the, 
this isn't just restoration. I mean, Jeremiah is very much about the restoration of God's people. But this is more than that, isn't it? It's, it's renewal and change. And, and I can see ways in which, um, if it's about renewal, renewal isn't a once and for all. So I don't think, I don't think saying that Jesus brings us the covenant doesn't mean there's anything wrong with this new covenant. It, it's a it's a continuation of the same new covenant and that feels to me i'm a bit more comfortable with that yeah. uh, thanks rachel for reminding us not to just say old testament done let's concentrate on the new because i don't think any of us would want to do that it's good to be reminded so there's, yeah. there's something there about about renewal um and a, and a constant renewal and i love the idea of of inviting people to do that as as a community I think that's a, a, a that's a powerful um, thing. It's a stumbling block to be aware of, isn't it? This whole um, replacement theology, or uh, um, you know, th this one has has meant the other ones were meaningless. Um, I, and I I think the progression that Lithan has pointed to us from up in the sky to on tablets of stone to heart is nice symbolism and helps with what Rachel's pointing to, which is the danger of this new covenant um, of, of becoming individualistic. I, it kind of struck me as I was saying, well, how many covenants were there? And I sort of looked up and it was, it was like, the, the, the National International Society of Covenant Seekers who look for any reference to covenants in the Bible. So there's almost anything like like one, some people say, there's one covenant up to like 12. And some people who go even more, there's more than 12, you know, because you haven't noticed this one. Um, but most people settle on about five, don't they? Uh, and, and they have like the Garden of Eden, that that covenant with, with, with Adam and Eve about looking after creation and being stewards. And they have the, they have Noah and the rainbow, and then they have um, and they have Abraham, and then they have Moses, and then they have this Jeremiah with this new covenant. It struck me that the first four were national or global, um, just by dint of being part of this nation, you were a member of this covenant. Whereas this new covenant that we talk about instituted at at the Last Supper, most I think most Christians would suggest that that's the link. Um, we've made into a very individualistic thing. How do you belong to this? By my personal assent to it. And it's something that you join as an individual, as a member. How, how, how are you a member of this covenant? Um, we tend to describe it to the world as a thing that you decide to join, which I think is dangerous and a real departure from what biblical covenants seem to be about and I think getting away from that individualism towards the intimacy is is probably a really good powerful image to get us away from that so thank you Ethan, for directing us in that direction the other thing about this covenant that I thought was interesting was that Jeremy what's new about it um because uh, when someone says here's a new thing I like to know what's new about it and say so here's a new improved version of the shampoo you say well what okay uh, so the, the old one was rubbish was it mm -hmm. or so the old one didn't work like you said it did perfectly uh, perfectly well well no because this new one now does this new thing um, so so what's what's new about this um, and it, it, it the thing that Jeremiah seems to be saying is you won't need to be taught this one 
um, you, you won't need someone to teach you this one because it will be instinctive. I'll write it on your heart. Um, the heart being, um, I think biblically, although this is some grey areas as to what it means, but the heart doesn't just mean emotion, uh, but it means everything that makes you who you are. Um, your character, personality, your will, your decisions, um, your, your morality, everything that makes you who you are is your heart, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and I think that's a really fascinating thing to dwell on. Um, and part of me thinks that's a bit like um, muscle memory. Um, Lithin can tell us all about this because she's just started to learn the ukulele. And she knows she has to do it every day uh, in order to develop that muscle memory so her fingers automatically move to the cords. And I was thinking about it in terms of an advanced motorcycle course I did recently uh, where um, you, you've been riding for many years and someone follows you on a bike and says you shouldn't be doing that, you should be doing this. Um, so one thing it might sound odd to people who don't ride motorbikes, but when you stop on a motorbike, you have to put one of your feet down. Otherwise, it falls over it's like a bicycle. <laughs> this is a whole two wheel thing. Uh, and I've always put my left foot down, like a lot of motorcycle riders put their left foot down. Um, and, and there's reasons for that, which I won't bore you with. Um, but on the advanced course, they want you to put your right foot down. And you're coming up to a motorway, uh, I mean, a, a, a traffic lights, and you know that somebody's following you, and you know you've got to put your right foot down. It just feels really, really odd to do it differently because it means doing different things with the brakes and different things with the foot clutch um and 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 it, you're getting the right mess and it's just a foot i'm just putting my foot down and um, until you've done many 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 miles and many times and many sets of traffic lights and then one day you say oh i just did that without thinking um and and i'm wondering whether that whether that's an image to explore um what would it look like if as christians we were so practiced in living a graceful life full of love and um, self-offering that we didn't even have to think about it. It wasn't a dilemma. It wasn't a choice. It was just muscle, the muscle memory of being disciples. Um, and I, I kind of hope this is what Jeremiah's on about, um, that that's God's desire for us. Um, and that that's who we are. That's what it means. It's written on our heart because that's how we're made in the image of God. And that's who we actually are. It should be natural to us um, to, to be those people and to want to obey um, and follow uh, what God wants for our lives. So, yeah, there's plenty in covenants. Um, if you want to explore covenants um, and there's plenty in typology of Jesus and the question who is Jesus prophet priest king I like that there's, there's, uh, uh, there's, there's plenty to get our teeth into already um, where were you heading Lithan um, obviously without the Melchizedek um, that, that Ruth's already going to be preaching on yeah well it, it's tempting now I really like the Melchizedek <laughs> but um, I've kind of looked at John and I and I think there's probably too much for one one sermon so I'd have to choose which one of these to really focus on but there's kind of in a sense there's three parts to the John reading because um, there's so much in John isn't there and 
you know, we could have had it in smaller chunks, but then we've got up to Easter and we've run out of time. So the first bit of the John reading is where some Greeks um, encounter the, the smelly fisherman, I want to see Jesus. And it does remind me of, of a kind of backwards version of the king's breakfast. You know, the king asked the queen and the queen asked the dairymaid. And the fact that they don't go, they don't go straight to Jesus, but neither does um, Philip. Philip has to get help from his brother to kind of go, well, what are we going to do with these people? What are we going to do with these people? And then kind of together they work that out. And you could just kind of talk through what does that mean? Who are you in the story? Are you a Greek on the outside? Are you Philip who's a bit unsure what to do? Are you Andrew or maybe Jesus, but probably not because we don't like to call ourselves Jesus. But I came across um, a set of questions from Anne Skull, who's got um, the Mustard Seeds website. And she said, there's a couple of questions that you could ask and perhaps do this in small groups rather than kind of a sermon slot is, if some people, if some Greeks came to your faith community this week and said, we want to see Jesus, who would they be? So who are the Greeks in your society or your community? <clears throat> what would you do? What would you say? And would they see Jesus? And I think those are they're really simple, but ever so profound questions about um, thinking about who we are and, and how we relate to, can people see Jesus through us or are we a barrier? And I think that's a really useful thing to think about. And then we've got all the seed stuff, which is brilliant, isn't it? About um, the fact that seeds have to break open and die for new life to come and we can relate that to Jesus it might be that um, it's something for some of our faith communities to dwell with seriously about what has the time we're in done for our congregation is it time for us in this sense to die for new life to come and uh, my first church um, just after I'd left closed wasn't exactly to do with me but um, things happened and they they had to close and that was such a shame for the people who were there and they grieved it but what actually happened was new life came to faith in that um, town so on the headland part of of Hartlepool more people joined the Church of England and it grew more and ecumenical relationships um, improved in some senses when this one congregation died for new life to come and that's it's always a good illustration to say it's not always the end of the world when doing things our way um, ends because new life may come and we can trust in that because that's what Jesus was talking about that you know he dies so that new life can come for all and then I discovered, I think it was also from Anne Skull, had this quote from Oscar Romero. And I, and I went, I'm not going to use that. That's just all, I can't use that. So I will read it to you and then you might see why I, I didn't like this at all. So this is what Oscar Romero says. To each one of us, Christ is saying, if you want your life and mission to be fruitful like mine, do as I. Be converted into a seed that lets itself be buried. Let yourself be killed. Do not be afraid. Those who shun suffering will remain alone. No one is more alone than the selfish. 
But if you give your life out of love for others, as I give mine for all, you will reap a great harvest. You will have the deepest satisfactions. Do not fear death or threats. The Lord goes with you. And Oscar Romero said that a year before he was shot while preaching. And I kind of went, no, that, that's just too hard. Lord, don't ask me. Don't ask me to give my whole life. And I'm still really processing why I found that so difficult. And I think many of us, I don't think I'm alone in finding that difficult uh, and saying, do I really want to say those who love their life will lose it and those who hate their life will keep it? And if I'm to follow Jesus, I need to give my all. And I think for those times when we are struggling with that, that's where the last part of John, that Jesus has done this for us, that when we're really struggling, God's love is there for us no matter what. And, and my feeling is that the more we're loved, the, the less selfish we'll be, actually. That uh, it kind of goes back to the covenant, doesn't it? That God's love is written on our hearts without demanding something of us first. And if we still struggle to believe that, as I said earlier, Jesus dies from the cross to show his life's broken to show just how much God loves us. And that might help us to be ready to be the seeds, even on those days when we struggle too. Yeah, Ruth. I'm struck by the, the Oscar Romero thing as well. Because, uh, you know, as soon as you said it was Oscar Romero, I thought, oh dear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that ends. Um, but but as you as you were talking about your own personal reaction to it, it felt a bit like the bit where the disciples say, oh, not you, Lord. You know, that's that kind of, and it helped me make sense of that, that, you know, that, that for, for Peter, you know, for Jesus to say, you know, and I must suffer and die, no, no, it can't. That can't be the best way. It can't be the. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a terrible way of bringing God's kingdom in. You know, there must be other ways to do. But maybe, yeah, maybe we want <clears throat> to explore that that what that does to us inside when we think. You know, I don't mind the words of the Bible when they're kind of comfortable and I'm aware of them, and I can go, oh yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. But when something hits that hard. Um, and I think the Oscar Romero quote helps to really focus, um, you know, and, unless you do, yeah, that, ooh, that's the challenge. So, yeah, it's it's a toughie. Um, mm. And perhaps depending on who we're preaching to, we might want to, to present that to people as the tough choice. Mm. Um, I think I think for preachers with passages like that, it's it's often a difficult choice to decide whether you whether you go full on um, and say yes, um, Jesus means exactly what he says he means, or or whether you dig into it and um, in, in some senses not not to say this negatively, you try and soften it a bit. And so with this one, you might have a dilemma as to whether so is it is it uh, watering it down to say to a congregation, there are parts of us that need to be, need to be allowed to die. Um, uh, and that's part of our transformation uh, into who God wants us to be. Um, that there are bitter parts of me and angry parts of me and jealous and selfish and deeply unpleasant bits of me that actually do need to be put to death and allowed to die so that 
fruitfulness can happen. And, and that's valid and that's great. And, and that can be very powerful. Or does that water down what Jesus said? It doesn't really mean, you know, your whole, just, just the bad bits. Um, and I, and I, I, maybe in different congregations, we fall down differently. That's the point of local context, isn't it? In what you're preaching and, and, and what's happening. Yes, Ruth. Well, just met, it, as you were talking, I was thinking of the rich young ruler. You know, I've, I've kept all the laws, now give everything you've got. It, it's finding the thing inside ourselves that we think, you know, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Um, <laughs> to quote from um, but, 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 but it's working out, what is it? What is that resistance? Where, where do you actually get to the point? So we're not saying to people, you've all got to go and lie down in front of a boss. Um, and give up your life physically in that way. But if you can work out within you, what's the thing that you go, ah, oh, no, no, you know, I'm I'm not going to stop being snarky with people because that's just who I am or whatever it is. So I think it's, yes, putting, putting to death. But first of all, we have to look quite hard to work out what is the thing that God is asking of us. And when we say, well, you know, why should we do that for this covenant? We then look at Jesus on the cross and say, oh, yeah, fair enough. God has done everything from the other side to make this covenant happen. Now, what am I doing to, to step forward into that covenant? Mm -hmm. it, yeah, God, gosh, this is hard. I'd rather go back to Melchizedek, but it's much more. Yeah, Melchizedek is only way more attractive <laughs> with every minute that passes. Rachel. Um, I, I was struck when I was um, reading around the John passage that um, the commentary I looked at talked about you've got the first 11 chapters of John that are all about the hour has not yet come. And then sort of here we are and the hour has come. Um, and the commentary mentioned that the Greeks kind of symbolized the whole world um, in the passage. So it was a fulfillment of the prophecy that the whole world had gone after him or something rather like that. Um, but the, the phrase in, in the commentary that struck me was that um, that Jesus, the plot to kill Jesus comes about not just because of opposition to Jesus, but also because of adulation. Um, and that whole um, Jesus is kind of right there in the middle. It sort of goes back to things that I keep coming back to, that Jesus is really confrontational just in, in his very being. Um, you'll either hate him or you'll love him. <laughs> and he'll either represent you know, life or death or everything or nothing, you know, and Jesus is kind of there and inviting people to make this choice. And the fact that we're heading towards um, towards Holy Week and towards Jesus's death and the fact that it all happened because of this stark choice that exists just because Jesus is who he is. You're either gonna be for him or against him. I think that's very powerful. Just, just by being there, um, <laughs> Jesus is offensive, um, uh, and it's not. Yeah, it's not down to a particular thing he said. It's down to a whole, a whole choice we make about our whole, the whole of our lives. I think that's a very powerful uh, insight. The thing I got, I got a little bit stuck up on, on John reading this um, <clears throat> was that I think I realized for the first time um, and it, it was came as a bit of a shock to me that um, 
But as I was reading it, it's like Jesus is saying, yeah, this all has to happen. Um, it's 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 who I am. Um, and uh, I won't I won't ask God to take this away from me. And, and as I read that, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, but you do, don't you? And uh, we'll just wait for that bit to happen. And that doesn't happen in John. Uh, there is no Gethsemane take this cup away from me moment in John. In John, the, the, the Jesus um, presented is one who always knows this is going to happen, accepts it completely, never flinches or shies away from it. And I think that's fascinating. I didn't know what to do with that um, because I've often made a big, a big play of that in the other gospels, uh, the humanness of Jesus facing this terrible week to come, um, weeps and, and begs God to find another way. And yet the Jesus of John's gospel is completely unflinching about this and walks towards the cross knowing it's, it's his destiny. And I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure yet that I know what what to do with that or where to go with that um yeah Ruth I just I was struck by by what you were saying Rachel about the hour has not yet come and then yeah this sort of unflinching Jesus uh, is it fanciful of me to imagine I used to have one of those old wind-up alarm clocks you know so so for the first 11 chapters we're winding Jesus is winding it's not yet come but adding John adds to the tension of the number of people that Jesus is either offending or making, you know, deliriously expectant of the coming of the kingdom. And now, you know, the whole thing's ready to, to go off. Um, and, and then, you know, the hour has come. Um, and, and there's no, you know, if, if, if as you're winding that spring, some of the tension is going back out of it. And there's, if you like, doubt. I don't know whether a spring can doubt, but you know what I mean? There's sort of a, a move slipping backwards then, then it's not going to work, but it, it's kind of getting it up right to that point, so it's 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 ready to go. Mm. Uh, I, I I think we don't spend enough time looking at just one gospel, especially at things like Christmas and Easter. We get a bit, you know, a bit of this, a bit of that, and we know the whole story. And it's hard sometimes to discipline ourselves to what what is this gospel writer doing with the story? Uh, it's good sometimes to tease them out. So yeah, mm. thank you, Phil, for reminding us that you know John. John's take on this um, is a bit different. Yeah, next week, looking ahead to next week, um, we have a couple of readings set, a psalm, and then we choose between Mark and John, their accounts of Palm Sunday, and we're going with John. John is the much shorter one. And as a challenge in Palm Sunday to do what you're suggesting there, Ruth, is to tell John's story and uh, and, and what John's talking about without suddenly saying, yeah, but there was the bit about, there's a bit about the stone singing, wasn't there? Or there was the bit about the children in the temple, or there was the, uh, or there was the bit about the overturning the table. Oh no, no, that happened earlier on in John. We've already done that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I get that. And I think in this, in the, I, I had a conversation with somebody online uh, this, this this week about Mark's gospel and how brief it is, and how it doesn't do it much of a a service in the lectionary to be broken up into even briefer sections, and you need to hear the whole breathless thing in one go sometimes, and and hear the whole gospel um, has its own power. Um, but this is a lectionary preaching group, so um, <laughs> we have to do the little bits that we're given and, and John is crowbarred into. 
a three-year system um, that doesn't give him his own year. Um, so, yeah, I think we, as far as this um, podcast and video series goes, we're, we're going with John for the for, 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 for Lent and Easter uh, wherever wherever we can. So there's tons of stuff. I, I, I just wanted to mention a psalm because there's a psalm as well. Um, psalm 51, I believe. Um, and that's got some really interesting imagery in it. It's got this whole washing thing. Um, uh, wash, wash me clean. Or, or And it talks about a clean heart um, and a secret heart. Um, make sure that's clean as well. Um, and it talks about hyssop. Um, I did look up hyssop. Um, I, thought, I thought hyssop might have been used in washing um but i don't think it was um it appears to have been used as a kind of emetic um to purge you from inside which fits in with that kind of imagery although there's some disagreement amongst scholars um about what it is um but um so we've got all that stuff uh, it struck me that the john passage uh, just be just before this uh these words from Jesus um, has the washing of the feet and Peter saying, um, not just my feet then, um, wash all of me. Um, and so I, I kind of had a vague idea about maybe going with some of that image of, of washing and um, clean hearts. And if this heart is going to be ready for the new covenant to be written on it, um what, what state does it need to be in or does the writing of god's covenant on it um start the process of it becoming clean how, how does that all fit in together so i thought there might be some powerful stuff about washing um and cleanness uh in there from psalm 51 yes rachel i like the bit in the psalm yeah i like the bit in the psalm um in verse 12 actually which was the final verse that they set isn't it um about restore to me the joy of your salvation because having thought about jeremiah in terms of kind of restoration and renewal um i like the idea that something it wasn't just our relationship with god that gets restored but a restoration of joy um and i think when you first when you're first a, a, a youngish christian you're quite you know joyful and enthusiastic and everything's amazing um and you're learning kind of a load of new stuff and you know you're telling everyone about it all the time um and then you, you know you kind of sometimes look out into a congregation on a sunday and it's not quite the um the joyful expression of the people of god that you might hope to see um so i like the idea of joy being restored <laughs> and joy joy in our salvation i liked that and I also liked, if you read on a bit, I felt that um, it was about um, the change of the person, really, that because uh, it goes on to talk about um, what delights God and that um, we're kind of, we, we respond in worship, um, I think. I felt that, that it was sort of signifying a, a change in the person, but maybe I'm going a bit far. <laughs> I, I don't think so. And it, it reminds me of um, a little known fact that I like to remind people about 
um, in Lent that Sundays are not part of Lent. <laughs> Sundays, are, it's, when it's Sunday, whatever it is you're doing to make yourself miserable in Lent, um, you can stop doing and experience some joy again because the Sabbath or the Sunday is supposed to be a day of rest and joy and enjoyment of God's creation. Um, so it, it's almost sinful to continue observing Lent on Sundays um, because Lent doesn't include the Sundays. Um, otherwise, the 40 days things doesn't add up. So, um, yeah, um, have the Sunday off. Experience that joy um, in your salvation that uh, the psalm encourages you to do. Yeah, as a commercial message, it's probably a bit late now at the end of Lent to be reminding people that they can have Sundays off. But uh, <laughs> if it's chocolate's your thing, um, then Sunday's fine, <laughs> whatever it is uh, that's going on with your Lent this year. So um, there's other parts to worship. There's other things that, that we could do with these readings. And uh, there's some powerful imagery in there. Um, so what, 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 what are you thinking of, of using them with, uh, Ruth. I'd, no, stick with me. This could sound just a little bit whimsical. Um, or, or my word for this sort of thing is mimsy. Um, but, but I had, I had, I was thinking about Jeremiah and the Psalm and washing and new covenant and kind of you know being ready and all of that. Um, and I got to. Uh, we happened to have a, a whole load of jam jars um, in in our garage because. Uh, we have a very nice lady in the um, uh, the car boot sale opposite who makes jam. And normally I take her the empty jars and I buy some more jars from her and I bring them back. And it hasn't happened because of the pandemic, second mention of COVID, sorry. Um, so, so the jam jars have been building up. So what am I going to do with the jam jars? Uh, and I thought, jam jars, what we could do is, is I quite like to, to dirty the jam jars if they're not already dusty enough. They've been in the garage, they may just have sorted that out themselves, but kind of dirty them up and and to then encourage people to, to, first of all, clean the outside of the jam jar. So to take away the stuff that gets in the way. Um, I wouldn't want to be so prescriptive as to say, you know, sin. First of all, you wash off the sin, unless you understand just sin as being what gets in the way of your relationship with God. But it could be guilt. It could be you're washing away guilt. It could be you're washing away your um, intransigence, whatever it is. So you you wash off the stuff first of all, so you clean the jam jar. Then, of course, you you need that renewal that Jeremiah promises. So you need some light inside that to shine out. So you know, uh, I don't know where the Christian church would be without those little candlelight things, um, night lights. So you pop one of those in. So you've got the light. And then to say, well, that's like grace, that's God's love, you know, inside you shining out. Um, and then to think, so, and how can we enhance that? So how can we be the people that, that show um, God's love? Um, and so you could you end, then enhance it with things that, that you know, I, what I really like would be kind of crystally things that sort of break up. So they don't stop the light, but they kind of colour it and give it different facets and stuff. Um, and that those are like the those are works if you like those are the things that we do to make the light shine to make the light beautiful um, and going back to Jeremiah and talking about so this is you know we put Jeremiah in the psalm so we we wash our heart the the, the word is within us uh, and then we we shine we do the things we respond with joy so the light shines out so that was my little mimsy idea 
we always look to you as a figurehead for whimsy and mimsy. Um, it's, it's what you're known for. <laughs> but now I can see that. I can see that working. Um, so you're going to bring in a load of dirty jam jars and distribute them or invite people to go in their garage and find one. Um, I think that works. It works with all of the psalm stuff. Um, I, th I think that, yeah, that could be quite powerful. I thought you were going to say um, sort of colour them with stained glass or something or okay yep rachel what have, what have you dug out of your um ideas closet um quite often i give people coloring to do in the service adults alike um you can get you know quite good adult coloring sheets um but i thought i could i might just give people a big heart to doodle on um and invite people to think about what they need to hear Jesus write on their hearts today. So it might be a reminder about um, how much they're loved or how much they're forgiven, but what, what do you, you know, something that they can keep then to, ref to look back on and in a dark time and remind themselves that, that this is written by Jesus on their hearts. Um, I, I don't know how I would do the next thing, which would be to think about what we want God to forget. Um, and it might depend on whether we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're unlikely to be together in a building. Um, so in some ways, the kind of corporate action is harder via Zoom. It doesn't seem to you, you can't do a big kind of corporate thing in the same way, can you? But um, maybe just get people to try and think about what what do they need God to forget and, you know, write it on another bit of paper and, I don't know, throw it away or burn it or, you know, do something with it that, um, that almost takes it and symbolically puts it um, beyond our memory, beyond God's memory. <laughs> There is a um, there's a feature of Zoom, isn't there, with a with a whiteboard um, that you can share and you can allow people all to draw on the whiteboard, um, depending on their device, whether it's touchscreen or mouse or whatever, and then you can rub stuff off. Um, and I think there's different settings as to whether you're allowed to rub other people's stuff off or whether everybody can rub everybody's stuff off <laughs> or who can draw on it. But I think there's enough settings for you to play with it anyway, which, which might be possible. Yeah, Ruth. Well, I was just being much more old fashioned and thinking about a sheet of paper that if you if you wrote on the sheet of paper um, and the, but then held it so only you could see it so that you didn't have to share it with the others and then you could all throw it away. And yeah. that would be something that, that everybody could do, even if they couldn't cope with the technology of the whiteboard, because yeah. I can't. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, okay, piece of paper. I was thinking, well, burn it, but that's probably less... Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> le <laughs> that's, less, that's less safe in the house. So, so don't do that. Um, <clears throat> but anybody who's got a wok or a frying pan could burn a piece of paper, um, perhaps not on screen now. <clears throat> Lethan, where, 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 where are you going? Um, one lot of ideas about the, the unless a seed dies. So um, it would be good to give everybody a seed to take home to create something. It might also be worth <coughs> just 
doing one of two things, one of which I've only just thought of, which is if you can have a, a stop motion or a speedy up thing of an act, what happened to the seed and how it becomes a plant. And um, that will probably help some people who find the imagery difficult to kind of go, oh yeah, and that's because it does something. And then let's see if I can share my screen and find the right thing. I always, I always have to talk when I'm doing share screen. <laughs> I don't know if you do. All right. So then I found this little book. Well, Carolyn Brown mentioned this little book that's um, one and a half minutes long. So, um, and that includes this strange thing. Oh, I didn't put the sound on, but I don't think you're going to need it. A Curtsy by Ruth Price, produced by Crockett Johnson. A little boy planted a carrot seed. So, spoiler, <laughs> he plants the carrot seed. No one believes it's going to turn into anything until at the end. Yeah. The carrot came up. There you go. And so, I, but I do like that sense of if people are kind of going, why does a seed have to die? <laughs> Especially for children, it's a good reminder that there is something that comes. And also just the old fashioned pictures. I What I used to do quite a lot was buy books and use them if I have children to do that. I'd quite often scan the books in, put it on PowerPoint, now I've discovered on YouTube, people do this for you. So they read the book for you and it's, and it's much better. So um, it's just a very simple, quick one there, the carrot seed. Now I'm going to see if I can share. Aha. Can you see this picture? A different picture, yes. So this is by Gretchen Raba and she's done two. They're just so beautiful, aren't they? This is Jeremiah of God's covenant written on our hearts with gold and paper and just to have that up as a big picture while we're hearing or reflecting on the Jeremiah reading I thought would be really good. Hey, yeah cool um, that it, you did give away a spoiler there was look, what looked like a massive carrot in a wheelbarrow going on there. I did accidentally overshoot. Wasn't the enormous turnip <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, no, it's just a great big carrot. <laughs> okay, uh, I've got a couple of things just to kind of go along a similar theme. I also have to talk while I'm sharing a screen. <laughs> I don't know why do we do that? <laughs> kind of an affectation, isn't it? Um, We're frightened so, of silence. <laughs> we are scared of silence, yes. Oh, it's the it's not, I have to tell myself what I need to do. <laughs> um, I went with a similar idea to Lytham's... Um, uh, sharing screen. I, said, I thought probably a nice idea would be to find some stop motion uh, imagery of seeds growing, um, but knock off the sound, uh, which is quite easy to do now. Most most people have mastered the technology of knocking the sound off and putting some words over the top. You, I, I would knock the sound off this um, and simply uh, read the, the the stuff about seeds dying over the top of it. We could, we could read John over the top of this um, quite nicely. If I can find the play button. There we are.
There you get the idea. Um, so yeah, you'd obviously just put some words at the top of that, or you could you could be creative, um, and you could um, do a sort of performance <laughs> version of John, where you repeat the phrases. Uh, you don't just read it off. Um, I, I think that would work quite well if you if you uh, thought about that a bit. How how well, would you read? You meant, sorry, Phil. I thought you just meant that you would be the seed. <laughs> Ah, yeah. How much of drama exercises, everyone? <laughs> That's what we were all trying to achieve in those um, school drama classes. <laughs> I never looked anything like that. <laughs> oh, I don't know why that's going to go right. The other thing I thought of was this, the imagery of Psalm 51. Again, uh, I'd take the sound off this and I'd read Psalm 51. Um, over Sometimes I think... Reading the Bible with with images or with video just adds something uh, the, with the power of the imagery. So it's just it's just somebody washing clothes the old-fashioned way. Um, it's quite hard to find videos of people doing that. Um, to be honest, so there seems to be a a bit of a, a comeback in the sale of washboards. I've noticed something I discovered when I went down this particular rabbit hole. You can buy washboards nowadays because some people think it's the only way and washing machines are evil. Um, I don't know, just, I, I might, um, <clears throat> I might not completely remove the sound from this. I think I might keep in the background the sound of, of scrubbing whilst reading the song. So I think it's fabulous just to watch that how much work it is to scrub that heart clean. So there you go, I could watch, watch, could watch that all day and watch someone else do the work. <laughs> there's another video floating around of a woman demonstrating how to wash a double sheet that way. Um, there's an awful lot of folding and flapping and stuff going on uh, in washing this double sheet. Um, but anyway, and then she gets loads of water and rinses it. And so I just think that really goes nicely with the, with the words from Psalm 51. Um, then a couple of hymns, um, because we don't. Uh, we had a little bit of feedback uh, not that long ago saying we should we should have more music or hymn suggestions. Um, so I had a look in Rejoice and Sing, which is obviously the hymn book to go to, uh, published by the United Reformed Church, um, still available at good bookshops. Maybe we'll get some sponsorship from the URC now. Um, so uh, <laughs> anyway, Colin Thompson, um, he, he's never written a dud. Um, uh, and I found this one that I wasn't aware of until I looked it up today. Um, number 275, God's glory fills the universe. Uplifted on the cross, Christ bears our shame and his disgrace. His outstretched arms enfold us all and heaven and earth embrace. For love will know the darkest depths and taste our bitterest pain to prove himself their vanquisher and spring from buried grain. Were you going to say something there, Lithan? Oh, just when you've finished, I do have some hymn suggestions, but ah, I just that I can cool. show. You right. So yeah, Colin Thompson, always worth it. Um, a, a real craftsman with words, um, and I wasn't familiar with that one. Um, and there's the obvious now: the Green Blade Rises. So that's also there in 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 many many hymn books nowadays um, to the old Basque tune. 
And then there's a Brian Wren one as well um, in Rejoicing Sing, which is called When Christ Was Lifted From the Earth. His arms stretched out above through every culture, every birth to draw an answering. I like that, that line to draw an answering love. Um, just think it's a really nice way of putting that. Christ is lifted up to, not, you know, not, not, not as a spectacle, but to draw us into this love um, that extends to east and west. So, uh, yeah, they, they would, I think, would be good choices. Yeah, so you've got some hymns, Lithan. Yeah. Um, we'll remember to share sound this time, otherwise it would be a disaster. So um, one is, it might be a little bit tangential. Oh, this is the bit that really made me. There we go. But um, I did want to use on this Sunday, sing of the Lord's goodness. And I think there's something about the, the Jeremiah reading about God's goodness with us. And it is one of the most jazzy um, Dave Brubecky hymns that mm. you can have. So we'll just have a little taste of that one. <laughs> You do need to have someone who can fetch on the piano or find a backing track for that one because it does have that groovy rhythm that's not necessarily easy on the organ. And then um, this is, in the bulb there is a flower and it is that sense of things need to break to grow, but also that promise that, and I think particularly in this time we're in what, what we're in now, that sense that the that, that there is something, spring is coming. Maybe this year slightly delayed, but spring is coming. So I'll play a bit of this one as well. verse is a little bit mimsy-ish but it goes on to talk you know it, it talks more about us as we go along and about resurrection but it's um we have a mimsy theme this week so that's fine yeah. rachel i um, saw you're reaching for for singing the faith i was because as, as um you were sharing those uh hymns the there's a hymn i love um by bernadette farrell called god beyond our dreams and the chorus says in our living and our dying we are bringing you to birth um and i kind of love that imagery because often we think about um you know our living and our dying as referring back to the john reading and all of that but how are we bringing christ to birth in our living and dying i think is always quite an interesting it always makes me think that that term, hymn so god beyond our dreams it's a lovely hymn 
Excellent. Yes, so Rejoice and Sing isn't the only hymn book available. Um, singing the Faith is, is a marvellous tome. Lithan. And I was just going to say that Singing the Faith Plus is a really useful um, place to go to if you want to look at um, some other suggestions than Rejoice and Sing for, um, or to find the ones in Rejoice and Sing then for the lectionary. So it doesn't go um, doesn't go too far ahead. I think they only do two months ahead. So you can't do forward, forward planning. But certainly if you're kind of a month behind <clears throat> yourself or in during the week, the, the Thursday before Sunday, you can find, you can go onto the Singing the Faith Plus site and they will have lots of different suggestions for all lectionary readings and the general theme of the Sunday. Um, I'm currently picking my hymns for 2023, so um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how helpful, that. how helpful that is. <laughs> okay, uh, we've moved across some um, powerful themes and some rich themes. Um, I think, as ever, um, wise advice for preachers to choose one. Um, and save another one for three years time um and and do do, do one do one well um and there's plenty of imagery to play with um in our worship preparation this coming week has anyone got anything to add about those readings before we ask Lithan to uh, bless us with prayer as we go about this important task as preachers and worship leaders of bringing god's word alive for our congregations. So, in that case, I'll ask Lithan to lead us in prayer. Loving God, we thank you for helping us to break open the scriptures this week. For the inspiration you've given and for the inspiration that is shared with those who are listening and watching. And we pray that you'll be with us all as we prepare our worship and help us to remember this wonderful covenant of love that's written on our hearts, where you say, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Help us to remember that we are loved and chosen and wanted by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.